0: You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church.
1: This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-host today, Jen Wilkin and JT English. Listen, we've loved getting to do some audience interaction uh, on Twitter, Instagram, social media, and so in an attempt to try to kind of collect all of that, we want to start using the hashtag KnowingFaithPodcast. And on today's episode, we're going to be taking a look at 2 Samuel 3-5, through 5, where we see that there were lots of folks getting shanked in David's day. We hope you enjoy the discussion.
2: All right, so uh, what's go, hey, what did you do last night, JT? Uh, I went to the George Bush Center, and it was a celebration of George H. W. Bush kind of rem- remembering the legacy. Okay. so forty three was there celebrating and honoring his dad forty one. Mm-hmm. And then they had some kind of staffers and friends uh, that were around forty one either during his uh, uh, you know time in Texas and in Houston or his time in office or his time afterwards. It was fascinating. I bet that was really cool. The person I was most excited to hear from was James Baker, okay who was his best friend for 60 years. He served as his chief of staff. He served as secretary of state. I believe he was also director of CIA at some point. So he had lots of stories around that. Yeah,
1: his resume sounds pretty terrible.
2: Right. (laughs) You get a tough life. Uh, But... uh, you turned me on to a book a few years ago called uh, The Gatekeepers, yeah, and he is kind of, like he is, when you think of the Have the you role, read this
0: book?
2: No. It's really it's, interesting. It's, I it's just a,
0: read Anna Karenina over
2: and over. <laughs> <here>. <laughs> it's the story. Said, well, can I pause here?
1: Please. Somebody emailed
2: JT and I, mm-hmm. throwing serious shade about our comments about
1: Big time Anna Karenina. About you.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That I said something bad, or you said something they were,
2: bad? They were throwing shade on you, because you were making fun of us for talking about first and second samuel and it being one book and then immediately after that you talked about liking parts of anna karenina and yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah and they were like they were like we think it's a little bit hypocritical
2: <laughs> Anyways. Uh, Thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, crowd, thank yeah, crowd has our back. They do. Um, uh, and
0: just in case there's any future shade thrown about the fact that JT attended an event at the George Bush Library. JT, are you trying to make a political statement with this story of no, any no, kind? No,
2: not at all. I just not loved, I loved my time there. Yes. Yeah. Everyone but this book, got that? Yeah. Gatekeepers. Like, yeah, please, please don't email Lots us. Lots of qualifications. <laughs> yeah, Gatekeepers. Is, was, is, it's a really good book. So it's, t- okay. it's the story of, of the tenure of 10 chiefs of staff and basically how they operated in that role. Huh. And you don't really think about this until, at least I didn't think about it much until so I read it in the book. They're the, one of the most powerful people in Washington, even more so than most elected officials. They control the schedule. They control the schedule. They control what makes it to the president's desk and what doesn't. So this guy in particular, James Baker, was friends for 60 years for George H.W. Bush. And I have to say more than, um, more than the stories of him being chief of staff or secretary of state, what was fascinating is just what it meant to be a friend for 60 years. Hmm.
1: Hmm.
2: It was just, I mean, the way he still spoke of his friend, the way he was there when he, when he passed away. Uh, I mean, it was just, it was just fascinating. Hmm. And it was uh, a good picture of biblical friendship. Yeah. of what it means to have a community around you that cares for you through every season of life. Yeah. I bet that was really awesome. It mm-hmm. was. Guys, hey, something guys, else. guys Just can we be thing. friends
1: for 60 years? Can we make a friendship act, Blood Oath?
0: Uh, I got news for you.
1: Mm-hmm. Friends, ain't gonna be around friends. in 60 years no, you Saber's don't know sign. that I don't want you to say that you know that mm-mm, mm-mm. Uh, some I would be 110
0: some and you
2: researchers be, are saying you'd be an <laughs> incredibly fun friend <laughs> some people are, researchers have said that the person that would live to 150 is probably alive today I don't it think it could I be, be you well, uh, well <laughs> from Parks and Rec have you got to the place where I've gotten to the place that I know what character you are uh, whoa uh oh you're, you're John Ralphio <gasps> oh my gosh but
1: I am <laughs> <laughs> My wife is watching it all the way through right now for the first time. And um she was like she was like, Hey, I kind of feel like sometimes you're a little bit like uh John Ralphia. And I was like what? So, yeah. Prone to hyperbole
2: You're that you're that church plant, music. Church plant promo.
1: Yeah, I'm just out there. <laughs> Um, I love, uh, we just watched the episode where Tom's was like, uh, you know, they start Entertainment 720, mm-hmm. and he's like, it, but it's failing, and he goes, well, you know, I, I always heard that you have to spend money to make money, and I don't know how we felt because we spent all of, all of our money. <laughs> I was like, hmm, yes, that's so true. Um, well, you know what, I, uh, I think it's really exciting that... Um, I think it's really exciting that you got to go to that last night because a lot of people don't know that you uh, really you view your life. <laughs> I'm not through, sure what you're about to say right you now. You view your life through a, a West Wing prism. I do. I, and that's, I a that's
2: very much a
1: bat. Like that kind of event is very the
2: much. the West Wing soundtrack was playing in the background as I walked into the building. It sure, was incredible. I mean, they just knew,
1: of course. And you like to think <laughs> that was you it? like to think that you're Sam Seaborn, <laughs> but you're really I've always said you're really Leo McGarry.
2: I receive both of those comments. I, I, those
1: are my two favorite characters. So, Well, okay. We're talking about Second Samuel today. And we're talking about people getting shanked um, in Second Samuel because it, you don't get in. It doesn't take very long before you get into Second Samuel before people are getting murked. Uh In the story
0: Like That's You you guys know this word Merked No I rely on you To teach me all the new words
1: Well I've got all the new lingo Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Merked It's where somebody's Getting murdered Uh, It's often used in um, You know hip-hop culture, uh, which is something I'm very familiar with. The guys in the bay right now are literally, like, hanging their head. They're like, they're like, please stop this, so I'm going to move forward. Uh, okay, so, in 2 Samuel, we get into the story, and we started looking at this last week, or the last time that we talked about 2 Samuel. So, the last session we were in, talking about 2 Samuel verse, uh, chapters 1 through 3, we were talking about how there there, there is a passing that's going on. There's, like, mm-hmm. a passing of the torch, and that this is significant for redemptive history, but it's really significant in the course of Second Samuel for this kingship, right. right? Because something big has happened. One king is fading and another king is emerging. And we saw that in 1 and 2, but it really comes to the... Um the surface in chapter 3 verse 1, right? Yeah. So whose kingdom is fading and whose kingdom is rising in 2nd Samuel?
0: Well, we see the kingdom of Saul growing weaker and weaker and the kingdom of David growing stronger and stronger. And right. then you're going to see that basically that theme is carried out through, I mean, really chapter 7. It, it goes beyond chapter 7, yeah. but you certainly see that reiterated over and over again.
1: And it's it's easy maybe for us to forget as we're looking at the historical books that Saul, that Saul is the first king of Israel, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So it's like he's the first guy. It's like, uh, I don't know if if you're familiar with the musical Hamilton, but one of the big things that's happening in the course of Hamilton is that, you know, George Washington had been the first president. And there were these different initiatives like of like, well, he should just essentially like continue to be the first president forever. But he but he kind of feels the need to step away. Saul doesn't go out like that.
0: No, he doesn't. He
1: does not. Saul, this is not a voluntary I'm stepping away from the kingship to make way for the new anointed king. It's not... Saul dies. Yeah, I mean, he's killed.
0: Yeah, well, he kills himself. Right yeah. on the battlefield. I mean, it's it's a it's a terrible ending to a sad story. And I think the you know we talked about this previously about the idea of David as a man after God's own heart. And mm-hmm. actually, I had a lot of positive responses from you guys. So thanks for that. But it was clarifying you mean about for the, me clarify too. That. You, mean, you that, mean about yeah that 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 man after God's own heart right. is really the sense of that phrase is not that um, he, David had a special warm place in God's right. heart. Yes. It's that he's the man of God's choosing mm-hmm. and this yes. contrast between right. the Saul as the man of the people's choosing <laughs> and David is the man of God's choosing. And so when we see the one house grow weaker and the other house grow stronger, we have an impulse based on the way we've heard these stories taught for years to say, oh, well, the house of David is prospering because David is a balls.
1: And he's so holy and he's <clears throat> yeah. so righteous and he fears the Lord and look at what he did with Goliath. Yeah. And he's, yeah. yeah.
0: And what's interesting is when you, if you're paying attention to some of the cues that are in the text, you start to realize that the author is keeps dropping in these little red flags mm. all the way along. Like, um, for example, in chapter three, we get um, a list of the sons born to David at Hebron, and you begin to realize that David is still multiplying wives and multiplying concubines. Yeah. And we read that and we're like, oh, that's great. And, and so on the one hand, it is showing that his house is growing stronger, but it's also showing that he is he is increasingly moving toward being a king like the nations yes. instead of a king unlike the nations. Yes. And so we we need to give ourselves permission in these stories that are leading up to David, even, even to David ascending to the throne over all of Israel, to view him as human and flawed. Yes. And I think...
1: This is such an absolutely crucial point because of just how prevalent David's stories are when we're telling the stories of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And you have said for a long time, uh, particularly it comes out with the story of David and Bathsheba. Sure. But – that there is sometimes this overemphasis on, um, well, David was such a noble guy. Mm-hmm. And the Bathsheba story is like the going south of this guy who was mm-hmm. on such a holy trajectory. And um, But the reality is what you're saying is really important for understanding um, just how broken David is from the very beginning. Right. That he isn't somehow some sort of like ultra superlative holier than thou better than breaks all the molds coming god now that's not to say that he isn't the man of god's choosing right he is but it's not because he's great
0: yeah
1: which is actually he has also, moments
0: of greatness and we'll see some it's of those
1: actually how all election works too by <laughs> yeah. the way that's right so sometimes we talk we'll talk about these figures in the old testament abraham we do the same thing with abraham a lot mm-hmm. uh we do the thing the same thing with noah mm-hmm. where it's like well you know look man god chose the righteous one like, actually, never.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's just never, never the case. Now, God chooses people, and he does make them righteous. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't choose them because they're righteous. That's right. And I think that the point that you've made about, I got a lot of feedback on that as well from mm-hmm. people who were like, that was really helpful. That's not
0: mine, by the way. Well, That's sure. And in fact, um, let's make a note for those infamous show notes that we can link to the article that, That's great. that talks about that. That's perfect.
1: So we get into 2 Samuel 3, and we encounter
2: this guy, Abner.
0: Yeah.
1: Who's Abner? Why does he matter?
2: Abner leads Saul's army, okay. and he is somebody who is making Saul stronger and stronger and stronger. And I think the exact relationship, isn't he like. Uh,
0: He's his general.
2: Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. But wasn't he. Uh, rel- Who's he related to? I wrote this down.
0: He's the son of Ner. That's what it was. Clears <laughs> <laughs> so it, it right up. <laughs> <laughs> Abner, the son of Ner. Nur. You Ner. remember Ner. Saul's uncle.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So Abner is one of Saul's guys. Right. And in this kingship transition, Abner. Is playing a role, right? He yeah. had some sway still left in the kingdom as the mm-hmm. general of the armies. And there is a, it's not a coup that's happening, but I bet Abner kind of feels like it's a okay, coup, oh, yeah. right?
0: Well, I, I mean, we have to assume, we don't have to assume because it's in the text, Abner is, is bent on self-promotion. Mm-hmm. He's going to leverage a time of transition to gain power himself. So again, we've already set up the chapter with Saul's house growing weaker and weaker, David's house growing stronger and stronger. And then you find in verse six, it says Abner was making himself strong in the house of Saul. Yeah, So,
1: he was, so Saul's uh, how, uh, like kingdom was essentially allowing Abner to profit.
0: Yeah, Abner steps into a, a leadership vacuum and a time of instability, and he sets up Ishbosheth as the as the king, who is David's son, uh, as the king over Israel. So he props him up, but he, his plan is to is to leverage power through Ishbosheth. We we don't see Ishbosheth emerging as a strong leader, but rather as Abner's puppet. Yeah. And one of the things that's really uh, tough about Abner is if you go down to verse nine, you find out um, that. When he starts to when he starts to decide he's going to shift his alliances back to David he says um, he says God do so to Abner and more also if I do not accomplish for David what the Lord has sworn to him hmm. so this is significant because it establishes that Abner knows the promises of God to David that he is to be king over all of Israel and yet he has actively worked to establish someone else on the throne
1: wow I don't think I've ever noticed that I haven't either
0: What
1: bridge is God calling you to cross that the gospel might go forth among the nations? Women like Lilius Trotter, Harriet Newell, and Sarah Hall Boardman Judson have indeed crossed their own bridges to get to the lost. Discover the stories of 10 inspiring female missionaries who changed the world for Christ. Ten Women Who Changed the World is seminary president Daniel Aiken's powerful tribute to these women who fulfilled the Great Commission. May we all follow in their footsteps. Ten Women Who Changed the World is available wherever books are sold. So Abner is entering into the service of David as a pretty suspect participant.
0: Oh, for sure. Like his
1: motivations are...
0: Abner is all about Abner.
1: Right. Even though he knows that God has made a distinct yeah, set of promises. Yeah, it's
0: very nervy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So then you get to verses 12 through 16. And I got to tell you, mm-hmm. this is one of the most interesting <laughs> verses
0: in the, in the whole Bible.
1: Bible. Yep. Um, I'm just going to read it because yeah. I want you to know that it's in the Bible and that it's not part of our banter here. Okay. 2 mm-hmm. Samuel three twelve through 16. Uh, and Abner sent messengers to David on his behalf saying, to whom does the land belong? Make your covenant with me and behold, my hand shall be with you to bring over all Israel to you. So Abner saying to David, hey, like I get it. You're in charge now. Let's make a covenant together. And if you make a covenant with me, I'm going to bring over all Israel to you. Mm-hmm. Like I've got some sway here. Mm-hmm. I've got some political power. I'm going to bring these armies, these people with me. And he said, good, I will make a covenant with you, but one thing I require of you, that is you shall not see my face unless you first bring Michael, Saul. Is that how you would say that? Yeah. Okay. Saul's daughter, when you come to see my face. Then David sent messengers to ish Saul's son, saying, give me my wife, Michael, for whom I paid the bridal price of a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. That's the interesting verse, just for the record. If you were wondering <laughs> if there was another one coming, I'm going to finish up the passage, but that's the that's one. That's the money, right? There. And Ishpraseth sent and took her from her husband Paltiel, the son of Laish. But her husband went with her, weeping after all the way to Barum. Then Abner said to him, Go return, and he returned. Okay.
0: <laughs> I love how the guys are most fascinated with the issue of the the, the foreskin offering. We, no, don't, the, don't. we have the some. The women are hang on, more concerned on. with poor Michael.
2: We have some skin in the game.
0: Oh, oh my gosh.
2: <laughs> oh gosh. man!
1: All right. Well, <laughs> I feel like we need the corral in here now, just like
2: we get to meet that bacterial in here? I wish you shower. could see JT's face. He's, He's so, so proud of himself yeah, right just, now.
1: I, and you know what? He doesn't have that written. Did that just come to you? It just came to me. You know, what? I'm actually, as a friend, I'm really proud Thank of you. you. Also, as
0: never the, say that again.
1: <laughs> as somebody who loves you and doesn't want you to be fired from your job, never preach a sermon when that's a part of it. Um, okay. So, back to the text. <laughs> yeah, and listen, this is, don't act like this is just a male thing.
0: That is a weird verse. Well, it's not exactly something you put on your registry, right? Yeah, and or a coffee mug. Right. Um Yeah, well, and the funny part is is he actually paid double the price. He paid two hundred four skins for uh for Michael back in First Samuel. Okay. So he's kind of even underselling his awesomeness here. Okay. Okay. What, Jin, you're gonna have to help me out here. Okay. I
1: really like I told my wife, I was like, Oh yeah, we're we're studying or we're going to go through 2nd Samuel 3 on the podcast. Uh, and she was like, well, isn't that the one that talks about the 104 scans? games?" Yeah. she was like, you guys have to answer that. I was like, I don't have I an would, answer. Right. Other than it's just, like, is this just Abner demonstrating I am as good a warrior? Like, it's is like this, war propaganda. I am powerful. I can protect, like, I can protect her because I killed all these people?
0: Um. Yeah, well, so, Abner, basically, when the, the four, okay. Why are we talking about this? Good grief! <laughs> um, the, you ruined it, JT. It was going to be a normal conversation. And oh, you I, it I ruined
2: it. Right. Okay. Let's yeah. just go back. The and look author of 2 Samuel.
0: <laughs> okay, so um, basically, Abner's not asking for the foreskins. David is saying I've already right. paid the foreskins, yes. so I want my wife. Yeah. And this is the, so basically when he 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 kills these Philistines originally as part of the bride price, he does so at Saul's asking. Okay. Saul says this is the bride price, and yeah. then David doubles it okay. to show that he is um, a strong warrior. Okay, mm-hmm. And um, so we might think it's weird. I was trying to picture in my head the ceremony of presenting these, and then I decided I don't really need to picture that. I can yeah. just keep going. Uh, but if you think about um, giving proof of someone's uh, demise, you know, like we see places where someone's head is cut off and taken somewhere because you don't have newspapers, you don't, there's there's not any real way to communicate that this actually happened. And mm. so I guess these are a, a, a portable way of, uh, of proving that you have uh, uh, reached the sum that so, was agreed to. So it's almost like an Old
1: Testament kind of machismo here. Yeah. Of like a yeah. demonstration of like, look, these are the... Like the tears on the cheek. It's like yeah. war propaganda
0: yeah, or yeah. something of yeah. just right. weird yeah.
2: one. But yes. I think
0: I think the more important question to ask is why does David ask for Michael to be returned to him at this particular juncture? Why? Why does he? Because, so think about the last time we saw Michael in the story. Michael, and Michael, it's going to be important because Michael's going to come back when the, in the scene that we won't talk about in, in this podcast, but where David dances before the Lord.
2: There's gonna yeah, be we're, Michael we're, we're scowling get, in the corner, it, right?
0: So when we meet Michael, the text immediately introduces her. It says and, and and Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David. And David's gonna have a ton of wives in this story, but we only hear one described as someone who loved him, mm. that she loved him. And she ends up risking her own life to save his so that she can so that he he can escape from Saul when Saul is bent on killing him. And so after David escapes by her help, we don't hear about her again. We know that she's married to someone else, that Saul marries her off to someone else. But then we don't hear about her again. And so here's David. He wants to ascend the throne of Israel, and he, is, he has been um, pursuing a pattern, which was typical of, right. of his time period, of forming alliances through marriage. Hmm. And so by bringing Michael back at this particular time he is he is probably seeking to gain favor with those who supported the kingship of Saul
1: so this is this is royal consolidation yeah this is kingdom building
0: yeah and yet we're not allowed to just look at what happens uh, and go great what a great political move because the author does something that doesn't actually happen a lot in Old Testament narratives he interjects this little piece of the story about Paltiel the son of Laish who is her husband that she has been mm-hmm. married to and apparently she's in a happy marriage
1: yeah because it says he wept all the way yeah right
0: yeah and then they tell him to just go home they're like get out of here go home
1: yeah what but but man isn't there some symmetry here in the story of David right mm-hmm. so like between David and Michael and David and Bathsheba
0: mm-hmm.
1: where like David is taking is taking wives
0: right. Well, and and think back because you're going to, if you pay attention to that word take throughout the book of Samuel, you start to notice the pattern Hmm. because Samuel's big rant back in first Samuel was. To the people is, oh, you want a king? You know what a king's going to do? Right. He's going to take. Hmm. He's going to take your sons. He's going to take your daughters. He's going to take your land and your livestock and your servants. Wow. He will take. He will take. He will take. And so that's why I say if you're if you're looking for the red flags in the text, you begin to see that what David is doing is he is doing exactly what Samuel said. He's taking.
1: And he's and he's acting just like the kings of the other nations. right
0: Right. right?
1: Of saying like, this doesn't properly belong to God. It right. belongs to me. Mm-hmm. These things are mine.
0: Mm-hmm. And this is a man who has lived in the tension, sometimes better than others, and, and this will be the tension he'll, that we'll maintain for the rest of the book, um, of waiting on the Lord's timing mm-hmm. and and acting in his own agency.
2: Yeah.
0: And with with um, bringing Michael home, I, I do think it's a little ambiguous uh, what, what's really going on there. Like, is he trying to be self-reliant? Is he just doing the most logical thing? But then when you get this story about Paltier I think we begin to, th- that story humanizes Michael in yeah. a way that um, we don't always see called out in the text. That we're supposed to feel something for this woman, Michael, in this situation.
1: Right. Yeah. Which, I mean, or at least feel brokenhearted for her husband. Right. 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 Who's being like.
0: She's a pawn and right. her husband's brokenhearted. So we can assume that if he cares this much about her, her life cannot have been too terrible hmm. right. where yeah, she is. Of course.
1: Yeah, that's true. And and then from there, it, it does get pretty bloody. Yes, because people start getting shanked. Yeah, like we said, the title of this episode. Um, you have uh, you have if you're just looking at the titles in your Bible, this doesn't require you to like study this passage very closely. You just say it says in Second Samuel three, Ish uh, or Joab murders Abner. Yeah, and then if you look at Second Samuel four, you have Ishbosheth
2: is mm-hmm. murdered.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, so people are starting to be
2: killed. Like and, well, this- and then Second Samuel five, the Phil- I mean, no, we're getting to it in a minute, but the Philistines. Lot right. killed. Mm-hmm. I mean there's just lots mm-hmm. and lots of death in mm-hmm. these passages. Right.
1: And so I think one of the questions that I want to ask here is is this a part of God's plan and why is God okay with all this bloodshed? Like mm-hmm. David is the man of God's own choosing. This kingdom is being established and it involves bloodshed. Mm-hmm. This like this doesn't look too dissimilar from just a coup or just a overthrow or it just it kind of looks similar to something Shakespearean almost, mm-hmm. right?
0: Well, I would say it looks similar to the other Old Testament narratives uh this idea and 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 what we saw in first Samuel. We want it to look different because it 's David right, uh, but instead, we find that we have to maintain the tension between like one of the things that's in in these particular chapters is you don 't hear God speak right, and that's always sort of a a tension getter for those who are reading with a close eye in the Old Testament is to ask okay why did why did the voice of God or the were the sort of the um Visible presence of God drop out of the text for this period of time, right. and we're often left in those um, sections of the text with sort of an amb- that ambivalent feeling. Of, right. I'm not really sure how to take this. Yeah. And if we were honest, that's probably most of life mm. for us. And the question is, how are we? How are we? Um, How are we personally and then corporately as the church walking through times where it's not always clear who the good guy is and who the bad guy is? Do we trust that the Lord is still sovereignly working in the midst of either because of or in spite of uh, the actions of of our rulers?
1: And when we talk about God's providence over the world, JT, Mm -hmm. like, so let's say somebody's reading this and they're going um, or they're even just commenting on current events or something. but, But we're talking about second Samuel. So imagine you're here. What does it mean that God is ruling and reigning? over this world while this is happening because it's easy for us to go, well, if this is God's people and it's his kingdom and it's his king, then clearly, uh, all of these things are in accordance with what he wants to be happening for the people.
2: Yeah. I mean, we know we we want to read the Bible, not always as just being prescriptive of God's providence, but descriptive that he is the, he is the covenant making king Reigning and ruling over all people, but just as you just said, he is not necessarily ordain all of these things. He is in a in a passive sense but not right. an active sense. Yeah. Um it's also just like Jen said, it's complicated. It's right. really hard. Yeah. I love um this doesn't just get to like a coup or something like this, but just the brokenness in our own lives. Right. Uh yeah. one of my favorite lines that you've ever used in the training program is we we shout the doctrine of God's providence in the light so we can trust it in the darkness. And it's in moments like this where we have to believe that God is providential and sovereign over all things, even when we can't see it. And so when you can see it, that's when we're shouting it, we're talking Mm -hmm. about it, we're making sure we all are aware of God's very clearly ordained providence of bending uh, the arc of world history towards Jesus. Uh, That when it doesn't look like that's happening, we can still trust that it is. Yeah,
1: I think that's, yes, I agree with that. And I think that for when we're reading a passage like this or imagine as a participant in the people of Israel, uh, you already have a proven record behind you that God is orchestrating the, uh, uh, all of the world mm-hmm. and all the events going on in the world. Uh, for the good of his people that's right for the glory of his name like you've already seen it happen you saw it happen in egypt you know all the stories you saw it happen in the establishment of the kingdom and the conquest period and i think it's easy for us and particularly in the historical books to go this must be what uh, god wanted his people to be going through right and it's like well no it's that god is orchestrating the evil of the world the brokenness of the world and the brokenness of his people to accomplish something good he is in control
2: I know it's an easy passage to go to, but you think about Joseph's brothers selling him into slavery. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite lines in the Book of Genesis: "You intended for evil, God intended and, and used for good." Mm-hmm. And so, uh, man is humanity is often plotting schemes to thwart God's plans, mm-hmm. but God is in His sovereignty and providence able and wise to use our wicked plans for the sake of the kingdom of God. And one of the things theologically that I think it's important to remind ourselves here about, I know we've done this in a few of the podcasts in the past is reminding ourselves of where we are in the story. But one of the primary things that God is accomplishing in these historical books is preserving and setting up his offspring for the sake of the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And if these murders Uh, or the destruction of the Philistines aren't happening. One of the things that could happen is God's offspring, God's children, Israel would either have fallen into idolatry Mm -hmm. or into non-existence. Mm -hmm. And so what we see God doing or uh, in his providence is preserving his people and making sure that their their, uh, life of worship is going to be ordered in the kingdom of God or the kingdom of David towards Yahweh.
0: Well, and some of the textual clues we can use to help us filter through what's going on in these chapters of bloodshed are who the players are, what's at stake. Mm -hmm. And so there is a difference between the defeat of the Philistines that we hear um, in chapter five and these murders that we see happening here. And in fact, David, in relation to the two murders that we hear about, comes out um shining he yeah. actually looks he right. he is he is a good ruler in mm. these in these passages um, because the death of abner by joab joab takes vengeance on abner during a time of peace for a murder that for a killing that happened during a time of war right so that's it's an unjustified response and and not only that but then with ishbosheth he's murdered while he's taking a nap
1: mm-hmm. right. you
0: know and these are israelites killing Israelites, which is we are meant to feel the chaos and the heartbreak and the devastation so that when we hit chapters six and seven, we begin to see David bringing order out of chaos Mm -hmm. in the the kingdom. And one of the first ways that we see that happen is with that defeat of the Philistines because it doesn't just say that the Philistines are defeated. It says that the Philistines' idols are left with Israel. Right. And that's significant because if you remember uh, when we talked in first Samuel about the Philistines capturing the ark right um, we see here a, a complete reversal of that defeat that happened that's back then. Yeah. And then and and then it, and it followed by just a huge military conquest in which David um, takes over more more land than we've seen yeah. captured thus far
1: well one of the things that I want to get to you as we head towards the uh, the fight with the Philistines is in second Samuel 5 we see that David is anointed king of Israel mm-hmm. but hadn't he already been anointed? Anointed?
0: Oh, we got all kinds of anointings going on in this book.
1: Right. So like, wh- why this anointing? Because you see in 2 Samuel 5, 3 and following, it says, So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them in Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. Hebron he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem he reigned over all Israel and Judah thirty three years. So, is the second anointing different than the first anointing? Should we make? Is there hay to make out of that? Well, this
0: is actually the third anointing, okay. if you're counting. So um. you have um, Samuel. And Are nine you nine
2: counting, nine. Kyle? Oh, I clearly wasn't. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> hey, <you> <laughs> count, <laughs> Kyle. I wow, yeah. my gosh. Captive, captive, counting. Gosh. <laughs> We can that's going to stick. Pile. No, capti Baptist. Caffey Caffey not Baptist. Name that's sticking. <laughs> that's sticking. No, there's way more oh, where oh, that boy. came from. Okay, great. Uh, anyway, yeah, we had <laughs> we had David anointed in private by Samuel yes. first. So we all knew, the audience, mm-hmm. so to speak, knew that sooner or later the Lord's will would come to pass. He would become the king of Israel, all Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then at the opening pages of 2 Samuel, we see him anointed the king over Judah. So the southern uh, Yes portion and the tribe of Judah specifically. And now we're seeing him anointed over Israel, right? Um, meaning that he's now the king of the entire region. And yes. you can tell that that's what's happened because he immediately puts the Philistines on edge. Like he's not necessarily a threat to them when he's just king over Judah. But as soon as he becomes king over the entire people, they get nervous.
1: Yeah. So you have the private anointing,
0: Then you have the anointing over Judah and then the anointing over Israel.
1: Okay. So part of the reason why we're looking at it like, oh, well, there's three anointings here is because one of them is private, almost like a promissory note. Mm -hmm. Like this is going to happen. One of them is over Judah. One of them is over Israel. Yeah. Okay, so these anointings come together, and then at the end of 2nd Samuel 5, the, what closes out the section we're covering today is you have David defeating the Philistines. And you've already talked about how this defeat is significant. Um, it's because yeah,
0: I didn't read the show notes, and I didn't know we were going to get that far. So oh, well, there we go. There you go. I, um,
1: well, we did. We got there. I'm
0: paying close attention, Kyle. Keep putting out good content.
1: <laughs> but, but in first, uh, but we already had David. I love the symmetry here too. That after David's first anointing, mm-hmm. he goes and does battle with the Philistines. Mm-hmm. Then after this third and what seems to be the final anointing, right? Mm-hmm. You have David go out and do battle with the Philistines again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why does it matter that Israel fight and defeat people like the Philistines? Like what? Like why not just let the you do you? I'm gonna do me. Why isn't David? You know, why is David out there trying to impose his agenda? On somebody like the Philistines, he's a bad guy. (laughs) He's not an, he doesn't have an isolationist foreign policy. (laughs)
0: We've come back to Chief of Staff stuff. Yeah, I can help you with that. Yeah. Perfect. No,
1: but for real, why is this important that the Philistines are defeated?
0: Well, because the Lord commanded that they rule and subdue the land of Canaan. And it was not successful. Uh, It was partially successful under Joshua. Period of the judges is pretty much train wreck. And uh, so they have continued to... um, As long as the Philistines are living in the land, they are subverting the purposes of God's people and of God. And so God says they got to go. Okay. So
1: there's no like coexist bumper sticker in Canaan.
0: No, but Kyle, you're being spicy because, uh, you know, we do really have to be careful that we don't talk about um, these stories in the Old Testament. As though they're not, yeah. As yeah. though they're prescriptive, or you know, I mean, I, we did a, a ton of work around this in in First Samuel, just yeah. talking about the issue of one of the, the ways conquest. we talked about
2: this in the training program when we get to uh, the conquest is, and I'm not sure this is. There's lots of ways to talk about oh this. for sure. Mm-hmm but what is uh, a physical picture in the Old Testament becomes a spiritual yes. picture in the yeah. New. Well, Ephesians 6, our battle is right. not against flesh, flesh, and, flesh blood. and blood. That's right. Uh, yeah. And our battle is against uh, the powers and the rulers and the authorities of this present darkness, yeah. and even indwelling sin. Yes. And so when you think about the conquest of the land eventually being the conquests of his new temple, us, mm-hmm. uh, John Owen would say, be killing sin before it be killing you. And right. So in the Old Testament, we have this picture of kill God's enemies. God's enemies now is our rebellion against him. Well,
1: and, and actually it always was. That's exactly right. Right, And so and all Jesus is doing is saying like, hey, you actually misunderstood that the enemies are far deeper than you That's thought. That's exactly them. right. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, it's like Jesus, like you were up here doing topsoil work. I'm taking you deep to the like
2: deep roots mm-hmm. of brokenness. So what Israel. you have here, and this is something I know, Jen, is uh, we've been talking a lot about this kind of interdepartmentally mm-hmm. is progressive sanctification. Right. That part of the gospel is not just that you have been given the land or been given the promise of justification mm-hmm. uh, or the enjoying presence of the Holy Spirit, but now do war mm-hmm. against like all of God's war enemies. Against sin. Yeah. That's right. right. And that's what this is a picture of. Yeah, right. that's good. That's good. Well, uh, listen, a, a recommendation on that. if
1: Because I understand when people read a passage like this or they hear talk about the conquest period or the routing of the Philistines or any of the stuff in the historical books, uh, I always get like, hey, what's a good resource on that? Paul Copan has a book called Is God a Moral Monster? If this issue like really bothers you, mm-hmm. and it's okay because it is a bothersome issue, mm-hmm. is God a moral monster? You can actually just YouTube that and you'll get some lectures from Paul Copan, C-O-P-A-N. But his book is, an, is a fantastic book on the topic Uh, and so I just know that this is typically for skeptics and for even believers that are just reading their Bible faithfully this could be a real issue of struggle so I want to acknowledge that might be a helpful resource for you Well, for more information, you can look into the show notes in the podcast description. We'd be honored for you to leave us a podcast review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. You can find us online at trainingthechurch.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter by searching Knowing Faith. On our next episode, we're gonna be talking about my absolute favorite topic in the whole world, the doctrine of union with Christ. So see you next time. Grace and peace.